Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more, if you have moved to Green Bay in the last two years-ish, okay, just a few of you, um, Trish and I moved to Green Bay, and our kids uh, moved to Green Bay about 10 years ago. And Green Bay was a much different place at that time. I remember uh, kind of going downtown, seeing downtown Green Bay, and was just kind of really turned off by it. There was um, some college-type bars down there. If you know kind of the Cherry Street area on the news, there, were, there was always reports of fights breaking out and police having to be called in. Uh, we go on the other side of the river, and there's some abandoned buildings, and it just wasn't super attractive. Uh, even went down there one year for the 4th of July for some fireworks, and we sat on the rocks, and the river just smelled horrible, and you saw dead fish floating by, and you're just thinking, man, what happened to this place? And so as you start to talk to Green Bay natives, the story that they start to tell, maybe I'm off, I don't know, I've only been here 10 years, but at one point in time, there was a mall in downtown Green Bay. Is that true? There was a mall down there, and people used to go down there, and it was, there was businesses around it, and it was hustling and bustling, and it was exciting. And then they built Bay Park Square Mall, and it attracted a lot of the business away from downtown. The mall shut down. Businesses around downtown shut down, and it kind of turned into this kind of wasteland, this ghost town. And even, uh, you know, when we first got here, downtown was not a place that we wanted to go to. Uh, but it's really changed and transformed significantly in the past 10 years. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was actually kind of amazed at how much Green Bay's changed in the past 10 years. Now downtown, they have the Children's Museum. They never would have put that down there 10 years ago. They have uh, really classy bars now and restaurants. Uh, they have the, the, the Riverwalk, or what's it called, City Deck, which is amazing. Uh, people actually are moving down there to be in the apartments to overlook the river. On the other side of the river, you have the, the abandoned warehouses. Uh, people are putting restaurants in there, uh, like Titletown Brewing Company, and there's others you probably know, Chef Fusion, I think, or no, that's across the street. They have farmer's markets downtown, and so there's this resurgence of downtown. As we look at today's passage... What we're going to be looking at is the reclamation of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had turned into a ghost town. And the question is, how do we reclaim Jerusalem for the glory of God? As we look at this passage, the question I want us to ask today is, how do we as a people of God work towards the restoration of the city of Green Bay? Not necessarily financially or commercially, but spiritually, how do we seek to claim the city that God has called us to live in for Christ? If you would please open up to Nehemiah chapter 11. It is page 406 in the Red Bible, page 522 in the Children's Bible. In Nehemiah, we are reminded that Jerusalem, the city of God, lies in ruins. Not because a mall shut down, but because the people rebelled against God. And he brought in the Babylonian Empire as an instrument of his judgment upon them. They came in and they dispersed them throughout 
the world. Today's passage is a significant step in God rebuilding his own city through his own people. Because the city of God was desolate, it was dangerous, and it was dilapidated. And so the reason God comes to rebuild the city of God is because the city of God, Jerusalem, is a place where people gathered to encounter God, to worship God, to experience the presence of God. Now, if you look at the passage, we call this a pericope in seminary, it's a fancy term. You'll notice it goes from Nehemiah 11.1 all the way to 12. 26. And you might think, oh, there's a typo. It's supposed to be 1126. I wish you were right, but you are wrong. What we're going to look at here in this chapter and a half is a lot of names. A lot of names. And, and, and just so you know, um, your elders are stubborn in a very endearing way. Because I started listening to how other preachers address this passage and, and no one read the whole thing. So I went to the elders. I'm like, what should I do? Should I read the whole thing? And they're like, is it the Bible? Yeah. Is it God's word? Yeah. Read the whole thing. All right. So here I am. And uh, either that or they want to see me squirm. I'm not sure which. We'll assume it's the former, not the latter. I also just want to say, this is kind of a side. A lot of people have asked me, hey, when are we going to cover shorter passages? Uh, that's coming this fall. So I promise. Right after Labor Day, we're going to get into shorter passages in the New Testament. So um, let's look at this passage. And as we look at this unique event uh, in redemptive history of the people of God reclaiming and rebuilding the city of God, I want to look at it and take the principles we can for how we can invest and be a part of the transformation of God uh, in the city that he has called us to, the city of Green Bay. So the first is repopulating the city of God. Uh, Nehemiah 7, 4 says this. It says, The city, talking about Jerusalem, was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Uh, Jerusalem basically was the temple, uh, now the rebuilt wall, some governing officials, but other than that, it was empty. It was a ghost town. And so the first task for Nehemiah of reclaiming Jerusalem in this chapter is to repopulate the city. Now, how would you do that? How would you get people to move into the city of Jerusalem? Let's see what he does. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine of ten remained in the, uh, their own towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. This passage doesn't tell us how they came up with this plan to cast lots, to get one out of ten families to move into Jerusalem. But one commentator mentions that there were probably 100,000 people in the area. So it was probably about 10,000 people that moved into the city. Verse 2 tells us that the people who, who received the lot to move into the city moved in willingly. And for that sake, the other people blessed them. Now, while they were willing to do this, I don't think we should assume that it was easy to move. I don't think it's easy for any of us to move, especially in a time where there are no U-Haul trucks to carry things around. You know, you have to give up your property. You might have to start a new occupation because you're now a city dweller. And yet these people willingly went into the city of God, into the city of Jerusalem to repopulate the city. You see, in the times of Nehemiah, cities were extremely strategic because they were center of the political sphere, the commercial sphere, 
fear, not fear, commercial fear, that might be it too, but also the, the center of thought and philosophy. For Jerusalem, it was also the center of religious expression. You know, cities are still very strategic today for many of the same reasons. It is still the seat of the government for the community, the place where commerce happens, where philosophy is debated and then disseminated throughout the communities around. And so these families we see are willing to move into the city for the sake of the city, for the transformation of the city, for the glory of God. And the question is, are we willing to do the same? If God were to call us into a desolate city for the transformation of that city, for the goodness of the glory of God, would we do it? You know, if I had put underneath your seats, you know, different lots, and certain lots meant you got to stay where you are now, certain lots meant you had to move into the city, how willingly and happily would you do that? Today we don't cast lots because God has given us his Holy Spirit, and so if God had called you by his Spirit to move into the city for the sake of his kingdom, would you do it? Do we desire to see the glory of God manifested in our city? And will we even be willing to trade everything and move into it for that purpose? Verse 3 through 24 continues to list out the names of the people who returned to the city. Although certainly not all. We're not going to cover 10,000 people, but we'll be close. So verse 3. These are the chiefs of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem. Uh, He'll start the list in verse 4, but he kind of goes on a tangent here first. He says, But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. So that's where they're coming from. Verse 4. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Those are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. We'll look at a map of it here in a second. It says, Of the sons of Judah... Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalel, of the sons of Perez. And Messiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhose, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these were the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Coliah, son of Messiah, son of Ethil, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hesenuah, was second over the city. So if you look at a map here, up here, I think we have a map for you. Do we have a map, Vlad? Is there a map? Map! There it is. Okay. All right, here we go. So right here you see, uh, here's Jerusalem. Uh, this is the region of Judah, okay? And, and this is the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. Uh, this is in the time of, uh, after Solomon and the times of the kings. And then uh, this is kind of more around the... Uh, Further back, the division of the land by tribes of Israel. And again, here you see Jerusalem. And what you'll see here is the tribe of Judah consumed most of this area, which is also called the region of Judah, which makes it a little bit confusing. 
And then the tribe of Benjamin is really itty-bitty, and it goes right around the area of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is noting that God is restoring the tribes of Israel back to their rightful place, and he is bringing them back to the city of God. And so what these verses are reminding the people is that God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to restore his glory in the midst of his people. Now Nehemiah goes on to list the priestly families and um, some of these being the ones that, that really were uh, overseeing the worship uh, of the Israelites while they were in exile um, from the time of, of their return to the time of Nehemiah, which was about 100 years. And so the Levites... Uh, are listed out here. They're the spiritual leaders of the family. The Levites had no specific land. If you actually look at this map, what you'll see, go on back to the map, Vlad, is that you'll see there's no, there's no land for the, for the tribe of Levi. The reason is because they had several cities dispersed throughout the land because they were the spiritual leaders of the community, and so they were dispersed to be the spiritual leaders of these various tribes. And so he goes on to list out um, the Levites and the priests who come from the tribe of the Levites. Verse 10, it says, Of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joarib, Jakim, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Merath, son of Ahitab, ruler of the house of God. And their brothers who did, did the work of the house, 822, and Adiah, the son of Jerhom son of Poliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Peshur, son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of father's house, 242. And Amashai, the son of Ezrael, son of Ahazai, son of Meshalumath, son of Emmer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zebdiel, the son of Hegedolim. And the Levites, and of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunai, and Shabbatai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God. And so just a reminder, the Levites were in charge of overseeing the temple and the household of God, both inside and outside, doing all of the functions and the priests taking care of very specific functions. Verse 17, And Metaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zebdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and so they sang songs to God, and Bekubiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamua, son of Galal, son of Jaduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. This is one of the few places in all of Scripture where Jerusalem is called a holy city. But that's exactly what it was. It was a city set apart for the worship of God and the enjoyment of God and the glory of God. Verse 19 continues. The gatekeepers, who were also Levites, Akub, Talman, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, that is outside of Jerusalem, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Ophel, and Ziha and Gishba were over the temple servants. The overseers of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Benai, son of Hashabah, 
son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers, over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king, probably talking about King David, concerning them, and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. You know, as we read these names, we may wonder, what's the point? Well, on, on one point, it's, it's that this is a historical demo, uh, document recorded uh, to record what God has done and is doing. But what this also does is it communicates to the people of God that God is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to bring his people back from exile and bondage. He was faithful to rebuild his people and the city of God. He was faithful to restore his relationship to them. You see, the people of God were placed by God in the city in order to fulfill God's promise. Where they lived was not arbitrary or happenstance but a part of a divine design from God to restore the glory of God in Jerusalem and beyond. James Montgomery Boyce gives this illustration. He talks about a pastor named E.V. Hill. Uh, E.V. Hill was a pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church of Los Angeles, and he was one of the great urban leaders of the time. Before he entered Christian ministry, he was a leader in Texas for the Democratic Party. And his assignment was to get the vote out to uh, Demo- uh, get, the, get the vote out for people to come and vote for Democrats. And what he did is he actually assigned block captains for each, for each block in his ward. And on election day, it was the job of the block captains to go and to contact all the residents of that community to encourage them to go and vote. Well, when Hill came to L.A. and entered into vocational ministry, he thought, why don't we do this as Christians? And so he decided that he was going to place a block leader, a block captain, on every block of L.A. as he was able to. Now, there's one story where a man was on this certain block, and this woman on the block, who was the block captain, kept uh, encouraging him to come to church, asking him to come to church, uh, telling him about Jesus. He was so annoyed by her that he decided to move to the other side of the city. And so she helped him load his things into the moving truck, and she found out where he was going, and as he was en route from one place to the next, she called the, the block captain of the place he was going to. And so he gets there to unload his truck, and there's the block captain helping him unload the stuff, telling him about Jesus, inviting him to church. And his response was, my God, they're everywhere. (laughs) That should be our goal, to have a visible presence everywhere in the city of Green Bay. You know, when I lived in Columbia, Missouri, there's actually a church that formed a community for people from the church. It looked like a normal neighborhood, but it was everybody from the church. This is not what God calls us to do, especially not in the New Testament, but to be infiltrated throughout the city, living amongst the city, to see ourselves as block captains for Jesus, to reach out with the good news of Christ, to reclaim our city for Christ. We must not only repopulate the city for Christ, But we also must remember the villages of God for Christ. Villages like Howard and Swamico and Hobart and things of that sort. As I read verse 25 through 36, um, it's going to mention several villages around Jerusalem and the 
region of Judah. So if you want, you can read along in your Bible. We also have another map up here. And uh, you can kind of play I Spy, see if you can find them. I'll try to give you some hints, like northeast of Jerusalem and stuff like that. Uh, Jerusalem is right here. And so there's some down in here, some up here, some over here. So I'll read through it. Uh, If you need a break, if your eyes need a break from the text, you can look up there. Verse 25, and as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arab. That's way down south, if you see that. And its villages. And then he lists a bunch of villages that aren't on this map. He says, in Dibon and its villages, and in Jechizabel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Molada the Beth Pellet, in Hazer Shual and Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and Mekona and its villages, in Enramon. And now this kind of goes west and southwest of Jerusalem, these next names. In Zora and Jermuth, Zenoa, Adalam, and their villages, Lachish and its fields, and Azekah and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived, and this is going to go north, northeast of Jerusalem, from Geba onward at Michmash, Aijah, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, and Aniah. Now just north and northwest of Jerusalem. Hazor, Ramah, Getaim, Hadid, Zaboim, Nebalat, Lad, and Ono, the Valley of Craftsmen. And certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. You know, in today's modern American church culture, there is a strong emphasis of moving back into the city. And I think rightfully so because at least from what I observe, it seems like the common Christian practice is that when you're young and you don't have a lot of disposable income, you live downtown, you live in the midst of the city, but as soon as you get enough money, you move away from the city, you move away from people, and, that, and then you take yourself really out of the life of the city. And so there is this great emphasis to move back into the city, that Christians should be engaged in the community, engaged in the politics, engaged in the commerce of the city. But with that said, it does not mean that God does not call us to the villages around the city. That God calls us into these different areas because these people are precious to God as well. And so God calls us maybe to move into the city, but maybe to move into the villages, to move into rural areas for the sake of restoring the glory of Christ. Many of you probably know Mike Williams. Uh, they're, They're up at their lake house all summer. He comes here on Wednesdays to teach Psalm 119. But he has a really fascinating story. I don't, if you ever get a chance, you should ask him. Mike actually grew up in inner city Chicago. You would never know that by talking to the guy. He seems like a country bumpkin. But he grew up in inner city Chicago, a very dangerous area. Uh, he, was, he, he was brought to faith in Christ, and so he went to Trinity Evangelical School. And he sensed God calling him to go to a rural church, more specifically to a rural church that would not have enough money to hire a pastor. More specifically, to a rural church that would probably close its doors if he did not come and minister there. I think, man, what a beautiful story. And so not all people are called to go to the city. Some of us are called to go outwards to the communities around the city and to minister there as well. And so as we look at these first two points, God calls some of us to repopulate the city for the glory of God. And God calls others to stay in the villages and the surrounding areas for the glory of God. 
to be honest with you, I think it's harder to go to rural areas and to, and to the villages around Green Bay because many of the people move outside of Green Bay because they want to get away from people. They want to live further apart. They want to go do their own thing. They don't want to be bothered by neighbors. And yet God has called us in these areas to minister to those he has put around us. How do we reclaim our city for Christ? By repopulating the city for Christ. By remembering and reengaging the villages for Christ. And finally, by restoring the worship of God in Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 12. There are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltile and Jeshua. We'll pause there for a little bit. Zerubbabel was one of the first leaders to return to Jerusalem from exile. The exile started in 586. That's when Jerusalem was conquered. Zerubbabel came back about 50 years later in 538 B.C., when he returned, uh, Jeshua was with him. Jeshua was the first high priest to come back into Jerusalem. And under their leadership, uh, they rebuilt an altar for God in Jerusalem. They started making offerings to the Lord once again. They celebrated the feasts again. And against a lot of opposition, they even rebuilt the temple. And then they dedicated it with lots of sacrifices and celebrated the Passover. This was God's start to restoring the city of God. Then about 75 years later, in 458 B.C., Ezra, uh, the priest and religious reformer, returned to Jerusalem and started to teach people God's word and call them to obedience to the word of God. And so Nehemiah is here in these verses, coming about 100 years after this, listing out how God has been faithful to provide for the spiritual well-being of his people throughout a very dark time in Israel's history over the past 100 years from Zerubbabel all the way up to Nehemiah's day. And so that's why he's listing out these names, to show God's faithfulness to his people. He continues in verse 1 saying, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Ido, Genethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Madiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joyrib, Jediah, Salu, Emek, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. So verse 1 through 7 lists out the name of priests. Verse 8 through 11 goes on to list out the Levites um, who helped carry out and take care of the temple. Verse 8 says, And the Levites, Jeshua, Benuai, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Metaniah, who with his brother was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakubiah and Unai and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Jeshua was the father of Joachim, jo- Joachim the father of Elishib, Elishib the father of Joida. Joida, the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan, the father of Judah. And in the days of Joachim, the high priest after Joshua, were priests, heads of fathers' houses, of Sariah, Meraiah, of Jerem, Haniah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehonan, of Malukai, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Haram, Adna, of Merith, Hilkiah, of Ido, Zechariah, of Ginnathan, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Miniman, of Modiah, Piltai, of Bilgah, Shamua, of Shemaiah, 
Jer, uh, Jehothan, Jonathan, Jehonathan, there we go, of, Jer, of Joyarib, Matanai, of Jediah, Uzai, of Salai, Kalai, of Emek, Eber, of Hilkah, Hashaba, of Jediah, Nathaniel. These are priests uh, now of the families, the, the heads of families. He goes on, verse 22. In the days of Elishib, Joida, Jonah, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' house were written in the book of Chronicles until the days of Jonan, the son of Elishib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Shabiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandments of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Notice how important singing is to the people of God throughout history. Verse 25. Mataniah, Bekubiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouse of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the high priest in Ezra's time, the son of Jeshua, son of Josedek, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor of Ezra, the priests and scribes. Yay! Don't you feel like we all deserve a t-shirt for that? Like, I survived, Nehemiah 11 and 12. You know, it looks here, he lists out all of these priests and all of these Levites, and the question is, why? Well, the priests have a dominant presence in Nehemiah 11 and 12 because in the Old Testament, the priests were essential as moderators between God and man. They were the ones who made a sin offering for man, a guilt offering, so that that man could approach God and to worship God. They would intercede on behalf of the people of God so they could approach and worship God and enjoy God and experience God. And so they were vital for the people of God to worship God. And so I just, in applying it to that, I want to ask the question, why are we not so dedicated to restoring a priesthood in the church today? Well, Hebrews 10 says this. It says, every priest, talking about human priests, stands at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Did you hear that? The sacrifice of animals that they had in the Old Testament could never take away sins. It made them ceremonially clean. It made them externally clean, but it never cleansed them from sin. Verse 12 goes on, says, But when Christ, as our great high priest, had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, which was himself upon the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Christ upon the cross He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. We no longer need a priesthood today to be mediators between us and God because the great high priest has already come. Jesus Christ has come and he has not only been our great high priest, he has also been the great sacrifice, the final sacrifice for our sins. And at the cross, it says in Hebrews that he perfects us before the Father. He washes away our indebtedness, our sin before God, no matter what we have done so that we can boldly approach the throne of God. And so the priest's were to do this in the Old Testament. Christ was that ultimate and final high priest for us. But he also mentions the Levites. Why are the Levites so important? 
Well, in this passage, we learn that they were in charge of the temple, or we're reminded of that. And the temple, again, was the central place where the people of God would gather together to worship God, to restore the worship of God. It was where the special presence of God was. It was there that they would commune with God. But today, there is no longer need for a temple because God has created a new temple. 1 Corinthians 3 Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, which is a very corrupt church in many ways. And yet he says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? This would have been mind-blowing for first century Jews. That the spirit of God that that resided only in the temple, in the holy of holies, was now residing inside of us, inside of our hearts, inside of our lives. And so in order to restore the worship of God in the city, we do not need to bring people to a temple of God. Rather, we can bring the temple of God to them because we are the temple of God. That's what scripture tells us. And so we can go to them and proclaim to them the glory of God, the majesty of God, the presence of God in our own life. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, talking to the church, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let me end with this. I, uh, this, this year, I'm coaching my oldest son's football team. Uh, they're a peewee team. And I've, as, as we've had a couple weeks of practice, I've noticed there are a couple things that they really needed to have ingrained in their mind and in their hearts. And so let me see. Corbin, can I quiz you what it is? You know what it is. Be the, be the hammer, not the nail, and play till the whistle, right? So those are like the things that they need to know. Be the hammer, not the nail. Play till the whistle for the sake of Jesus, right? So be the hammer, not the nail. What does it mean? It means you need to go to them. Don't wait till they come to you, right? Don't just sit around and wait around because it's not going to go well. You need to go to them and then play to the whistle. The play's not done until the, until the ref says that the play's done. So if you knock someone down, go, go on to another person. Or if you get knocked down, get back up and keep going, right? Play to the whistle, Be the hammer, not the nail. Now, you can see how these truths are obviously transferable to the church today, can't you? Let's go around and knock people out. No, not that. But what we are called to do is to be intentional, to not just sit around and wait for someone to come to us, but to go to them. And we are not, we never retire from this calling. We are to go until the whistle, until Christ returns or calls us home. Let me just end with a segment of this poem from C.T. Studd. Before I do that, I just want to mention, with the football team, I mean, they have different positions. They're different places on the field. It doesn't matter. All of this applies to them. Play to the whistle. Go to others. Don't wait for them to come to you. No matter where you live, no matter what position God has you in the kingdom of God, if you're a singer, if you're a banker, whatever it is, approach others intentionally and go until he calls you home. C.T. Studd says this, and I'll end with this poem. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, 
I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord God, Nehemiah 11 and 12 is a bunch of names to us, but they are not names to you. They are people. They are your children who have been called to live in various areas to carry out your mission of the redemption of the world. Lord, we are maybe a name to many other people. We're just a name to others when we go to the bank. We're just a name to others when we go grocery shopping. We're just a name to others in so many spheres of life, but we're not a name to you. We are a person, who, a beloved child of yours, called to live out the good news of the gospel wherever you have placed us. God, give us the courage and the energy and the faithfulness to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.